today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Win or lose chaos following Donald Trump, does it? Or, or will things change now? Because if you watch last night and today, everybody's a winner. Both sides won. Both sides are claiming huge victory. So I'm thinking that's only got to mean good news for, the, for our friends south of the border. It's our sunny ways have traveled down south. There's going to be no more of this bickering, no more controversy, no more divisiveness. Everyone is happy. Or are they? Uh, it's bizarre how things have uh, played out and how everyone claims to be a winner. Let's bring in Richard Johnston, uh, Department of Political Science, University of British Columbia, and on the line with us now. Richard, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good morning. So if both sides are claiming victory, does this is this good news? Is this a change in attitude? Is it sunny ways for our friends south of the border? Um, good news I'll leave to other people. It's not a change in attitude, and it's not sunny ways. Uh, so um, it's true that uh, each side can, cl- can claim some kind of victory. Uh, neither of the victories wa- is a surprise, actually. The results are pretty much as forecast. Uh, the result, however, is deepened gridlock as far as legislation is concerned because you now have a divided Congress. There's going to be uh, more in the way of subpoenas, investigations, indictments, that sort of stuff because the House now is under, its agenda is now under the control of the Democrats and they have no interest in making life easier for Mr. Trump. On the other hand, his hand in the Senate is strengthened. And so to the extent that the Senate itself can help the president in uh, advising and consenting to appointments in particular, especially to the bench, then actually it's easier for him now than it was before. So now, really, at the end of the day, the, the trenches have just been dug now. It's, everybody knows where they are, and they're hunkering down. Pretty much. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, an, appor- an appropriate metaphor, considering the date. Uh, hmm. And some of what we're seeing is a grand geographic realignment. And so, for example, the, Senate's, the Senate seats that the GOP we know to have taken, they're still counting going on in some other places, but the Senate seats that uh, Mr. Trump claims to have won were in states that were already Trump states, certainly Republican states, growing only more Republican. So Heidi Heitkamp, except, for example, we knew she was going to lose. Uh, and McCaskill, very, very strong probability. On the other hand, there may be movement in the other direction in states that are becoming more Hispanic, for example, in the Southwest. Again, we don't know the results. But uh, Nevada seems to have flipped. And, of course, although Texas did not flip, it was much closer than anyone would have conjectured two years ago. Uh, The president said that this is a referendum on uh, his performance prior to the election. So what's the verdict? Well, I I would say for that part of the electoral framework that is more or less all of America, he's right and the verdict is negative. It's generally the case that the president's party loses ground in the midterms. Mm-hmm. But if you just look at the average loss over previous midterm elections, the, the Republicans would have lost about three and a half percentage points. They seem to have lost closer to five. We don't know the final tally for the popular vote, but the popular vote's going to come in at something like 50, between 54 and 55 percent Democratic. That's actually a pretty big swing that the swing is smaller in seats than you might expect reflects the peculiar geography of American life. 
also a certain amount of gerrymandering, given that Republicans control the overwhelming majority of states. Uh, Does this change Donald Trump's campaign heading into the next election? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, uh, first of all, you know, he has a strongly developed modus operandi. Uh, he, He can congratulate himself, I suppose, on the Senate. And uh, I think that in terms of the internal politics of the Republican Party, it's still going to be the case that it will be hard for incumbent Republicans to detach themselves from the president. The, the ones who are most at risk because of the president's strategy, they're gone, right? So in, in many ways right. now... The, the, it's the, his Republican Party. It's his Republican Party. The Democrats have responded to this in a very strategic way. They've nominated candidates who suit the constituencies quite well. It's remarkably controlled uh, how how controlled they've been. But that's not something over which the Republicans have any control. So I think we're going to see more of the same uh, between now and 2020. So in, in effect, Mr. Trump will start running against the House of Representatives now. In fact, he's already begun. Will we see his tax returns? Well, if we will certainly see demands for them, and that's a big part of what's going to start happening, is that he is going to be subject to a kind of continuing guerrilla warfare from the House of Representatives, and the Democrats will do everything they can to discredit the Trump brand. Do people care, considering where we are now? Uh, is this just, are the Democrats just playing into Republican hands? Rather than, you know, rather than pointing at what he's doing, which is pretty obvious, what about the alternative? Well, t- two things on that one. I actually don't think they're playing into Republican hands. If you look at the Democratic advertising and how they ran their campaign, actually, they tended not to frame it as a referendum on Trump. That's what Mr. Trump himself did. But in terms of the advertising, it was overwhelmingly about health care and about, about expanding access to the very programs that Mr. Trump has tried to bring down. So I think that they're staying on a policy message as far as that goes. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. So, I mean, things could still play out badly. But at this point, I would say these are pretty wily people, and they've got a lot of stuff on them. Uh, That being said, at what point do the Democrats have to provide a more unified front and someone who can beat him? Well, obviously, that's the big question. And already, conversations are talking about 2020. I would say at this point, they actually have a similar problem to what the Republicans had in 2020. 15, 2016, too many candidates. Uh, they'll need to think very carefully about how we navigate from here to a nomination in 2020. But if 2016 was any guide, they actually aren't, they're actually pretty good at trying to coordinate on the candidate that they think can win. They may have chosen the wrong person in 2016, though I doubt that. And so I think we should be watching very carefully over the next couple of years about where the endorsements are coming from and who they're going to. And in some sense, the big question is, do they want to go to a regular, a kind of moderate and centrist, or do they want to move further in the so-called progressive direction, which is generally the trend amongst the younger voters, uh, and especially on, on the coastal states uh, in, in this year? Uh, are the Democrats, and we'll talk about the Republicans in just a sec, the Democrats, are they, are they united? Uh, 
again, you know, we saw what had happened with uh, Barack and and Oprah supporting the candidates they did in in the last stages of this campaign. Is that where the future of the Democrats? Uh, is that where the future lies for the Democrats, or is it in people like Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders and, and Biden and all these people that have been doing it for a while? I think that um, my own hunch is it's not in Clinton or Biden and, and never was in Bernie Sanders. I think that there is a signal about younger people and forward-looking, a different kind of message, but not a very different message. And here's a bit of an irony, right, that, that the... The truth is, the Democratic campaign was actually remarkably unified when you consider how hard it is to keep American parties together. The fact that the Democrats ran candidates who actually cover quite an ideological range, but they got the candidates that matched the districts in a way better than the Republicans have been able to do in recent years. Now, what that produces, however, is a party that is quite diverse. It ranges from people who... Uh, who um, uh, voted for Kavanaugh in a few cases, uh, in the case of the Senate, to, to people who would die before they do such a thing. So there is, there is a diversity in the party, but I would say it's actually a strategically useful diversity. They're not as far to the left as Republicans are to the right. Hmm. Did you expect a, a bigger wave? Did you expect a bigger splash? No. Uh, it would have taken something in the order of a 10 percentage point margin between the parties for that to happen. So as far as the size of the wave is concerned, first of all, it was consistent with the pre-election polls. The polling business basically paid off this time. The, 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 the problem is the geography of the House for the Democrats, that, that quite apart from the fact that districts have been drawn in ways that generally favor the Republicans, it's also the case that Democrats, the kind of people who vote Democrat, are more clustered geographically. large part of that is ethnic and racial. We know, for example, that 90% or so of African Americans will vote Democrat. Well, that's, if you take that together with the fact that African Americans tend to be getaways, tend to live in strongly black neighborhoods, that means the Democrats are wasting votes out the proverbial wazoo in a way that Republicans are not. So the map helped stem the tide. So what's changed, uh, what's changed Richard, in, uh, between now and when Barack Obama was elected? Well, uh, one, Barack Obama... Because it always seems that we always complain about the electoral system when someone loses. But, but again, it, it's no different than when Barack... I mean, it's the same system that Barack Obama right. won well, on. Well, but remember, we're talking about different arenas here, and the Electoral College has a different logic from the House of Representatives and a different Yeah, we're talking yeah, we can't we can't so talk mid midterms on. versus presidential elections yeah, two totally different so, things. Yeah, so go ahead. Part. But but Obama and the Democrats generally over the last 20 years have in effect ceded control of the states to Republicans. Now, this election marks a turn in the other direction, but control of the states is absolutely critical to drawing the map. So that's one thing. They put themselves at a disadvantage by ignoring or allowing Republicans to grow in the states. Second, there is a big geographic realignment going on, that the, that the, the large parts of the interior of the country have been going slowly and steadily Republican over the last several decades, even as the coasts 
have becoming more Democrat. At the same time, you've also got the big ethno-racial change, especially as uh, Hispanic voters gain citizenship or come of age. And so that's also part of the part of the uh, the realignment. And to this point, at least, those geographic factors have helped make the Republican vote more efficient, if you will. Uh, how do why do both parties seem to be going to the extreme? Are we missing something in the middle? Is that where 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 we can capture the most voters? Or is it the extremes that get the headlines, the extremes that get the attention? The voters are still in the middle. And one of the patterns in yesterday's vote is that you can see the Democrats have started to figure this out a bit. And you can see that the Democrats are now pushing into places where they had allowed themselves to be pushed out. Right. So a Democratic congressional winner in Oklahoma, for, for, for crying out loud, that was that's quite a story, as a matter of fact, or Beto O'Rourke lifting the Democratic vote in Tennessee and in Texas and possibly pulling four seats into the into the party's camp there. So the 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 voters are still mostly in the middle, not as much as they used to be before, but still mostly in the middle. So the question is, why can't the parties respond to that? Well, I would say, first of all, the Democrats have been responding to that. On the Republican side, and to a certain extent in parts of the Democratic coalition, what you've had is primary elections dominated by the ideological extremes. You know, who turns out in a primary election in February or whenever it takes place? Generally speaking, committed partisans, and the more committed partisans tend to be the ones who are on the policy and ideological extreme of the party. And so that constrains the ability of the successful candidates or even the willingness and interest of the successful candidates for the nomination to move back to the center. They've always got this primary electorate looking at them from behind and possibly with a gun at their head. Hmm. Are, are, are Democrats um, resonating with people other than those that don't like Trump? Well... No, for the most part. So again, uh, so doesn't that doesn't that say then, Richard, that they're spending too much time reacting to the obvious, which is Donald Trump's driving that bus? Well, I'm not sure. Where's that, the alternative? Well, here's the here's the thing. I, I actually they don't have to say anything about Trump, in particular, the person, to provoke a reaction in the uh, in that part of the American electorate that likes Trump. It is a deeper and longer-lasting trend in the kind of cultural politics of the country. I mean, America has undergone a much more rapid increase in its foreign-born population than Canada has. I mean, the, the standing percentage is not as high as in Canada, but the increase is much more dramatic. And a big part of that increase is across the southern border, where there's some sense in which, the, for many people, the state isn't controlling its borders. So that's a that's a big part of a trend. That combined with the fact that you've had an industrial hollowing out in the middle of the continent. So there's all sorts of quite deep forces in play that Mr. Trump has been able to take advantage of. And uh, even if they don't use his name, hmm. the Democrats represent a quite different policy profile. But, you know, go back to the start of your question, people who don't like Trump. 
Most Americans don't like Trump. I mean, the, 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 the man is astonishingly unpopular if you consider the circumstances. You've got an economy that's just roaring along here. Yeah. And most of that's the product of choices made before he became president. But it's perfectly within his rights to claim credit for it. That's politics as usual. And in spite of the fact that the economy is going full blast, he can't get above the low 40s or even much of the time over 40 percent in the average approval rating in, in the range of polls. That's unheard of for a president so early in his administration and presiding over so robust an economy. And it is striking that Trump himself chose not to say much about that. Yeah. Mostly he campaigned against the Democrats, against immigrants, on a pretty blatantly nativist and xenophobic appeal. So how do you explain uh, everybody's interest in a midterm election? My goodness, uh, I think there was more people that voted uh, advanced polls in the midterm election than are in all of Canada. Um, is this because Americans now like this new brand of reality TV politics that changes daily? It's a good watch. Or is it that the country is that divided? It, it's, it's the latter. The stakes have gone up. It's important to both sides which, which side wins. And aversion to the other side can be a pretty powerful motive in politics. But you are right. The, this is the highest turnout. We don't know the full number yet, but the preliminary numbers indicate that this is the highest turnout, taking into account the early voting as well as Election Day, since 1970. And so it's bucking a trend against turnout in off-year elections. So I think we're, we're probably going to see 2020 as a unprecedentedly high turnout in the general election. And it, but, it, but mostly it is because the stakes have gone up. They, they've been going up in some sense anyway. It's not like Donald Trump began the process of polarization. To many, in many ways, he is reflecting a trend, but he's also augmenting it. And people are waking up to the fact that the stakes are very high. And that's true on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, are, are we missing the point here? Is, uh, are the results of this election or these uh, midterms the issue or the fact that the country is so divided? Well, the results reflect the division. But this is an this is an election. Which but I guess I, I guess the point I'm making: Are we too busy? Are our parties too busy patting themselves on the back to realize? But oh my God, look where we are. Well, I, I I I'm not sure how much they're really patting themselves on the back, right? To, to a certain extent, we're getting a rhetorical aftermath. Each side is making the best of it, right? Uh, and and I'm not sure that that's what's going on inside the, the strategy suites of these parties. I think both parties have reason to be worried about 2020. I mean, Donald Trump is so unpopular, it's possible that he could take down the whole edifice uh, uh, in the next election. On the other hand, it's also clearly true that the Democrats are still, still struggling to figure out what's going on. They're the ones, I would say, who have been most complacent tactically speaking, over the last decade. Hmm. Uh, they, just, they just thought that somehow or another the wave of naturalization, the diversification of the population, right. and so on, and you know all the sort of right-thinking thoughts that people think inside their bubbles, that this was just going to carry them to uh, 
a, a rosy future, quite without any serious thought about strategy, mobilization, or any of that. And, of course, the, the, the Trump election was the big slap in the face. I have the sense, though, that both parties are actually deeply anxious, and so they should be. Richard Johnson has been with us, Department of Political Science, University of British Columbia. Richard, fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for the time. You're welcome. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.